Star Wars Legacy.html is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all things podcasts, movies, music, media, and more, head on over to cageclub.me or like, subscribe, and follow on all of your favorite social media and podcasting services. And this is HTML, Husbands Talking More or Less, Force Legacy dot Star Wars dot backslash encryption key WPA2. How else do we get into this show? Now I want to go to all those like, I want to go through that. I want to see what it does. Well, now that you guys understand the secret password, welcome to the show. And we're here to try and finish talking about Clone Wars, no the? Yeah, for something that's only two hours long and no longer can, and we're spending a lot of time talking about it, but it's really fun and interesting. And frankly, it also highlights in a lot of ways why so many things kind of had to fall out of canon. Truly, it is some, you know, okay, so like if, here's how I see it. If Clone Wars, the TV show proper, is like a super cool video game, like Sonic the Hedgehog 2, right? Then the Gendy Tartakovsky is like one of those little tiger electronic toys, two buttons with a D-pad. But like, I like this way more than that. But I like it, and I can't wait to talk about it with you and our guests joining us yet again to hopefully finish this fucking thing are steven and kyle hello ah no musical opening this time (laughs) you know i like didn't want to i didn't want to get too excited and and because there's is there are no cats way out west yeah okay so okay way out sith west west sith you gotta let it happen naturally nico you just gotta let it flow west sith street welcome back i don't know what i'm saying what's west sith street like west side straw west side story but like west side galaxy i think i broke nico you did you really did the good news is he can Dylan, usually, you're not on this yet the good news is he can usually put himself back together pretty well this is true i am like i am like darth vader not in the presence of sand and so i guess he already spoiled that he's here fucking fine Dylan, everybody hi everybody no, for real, Dylan. Thank you so much for being here. It must have been a little hard, especially with the beginning of the second season, having no great love for your great female characters, which definitely took me off guard. I was not prepared to see both hair tendril ladies knocked out so hard. And then the penis head guy was like, I'm so sad. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> so speaking speaking of penises, I guess, we also have Jonah with us. When you're a Sith, you're a Sith all the way from your first child death to your last dying day. That was amazing. It is so wonderful to have our, I don't know what this is, like dark cabal of Jedis (laughs) called back together. To remind everybody where we were in our previous episodes, we've talked about a lot of setup, and then we've talked about some arc troopers, and then we talked about some underwater Kit Fisto, and then we talked about some Dirge and some Ventress, and here we are, way further on, and... If you want to hear what we've talked about, you should definitely listen to the previous episodes. And I'm really excited because I want to finish this. (laughs) That's it. I just want it done. And, you know, I really have so much less to say about Volume 2 than I did about Volume 1. We should, we need to wrap up Volume 1. I can't believe how long it's taken us to talk about Volume 1. It's not that it wasn't as good, but I feel like... Volume 2 of Star Wars Clone Wars No The is a transition between the very Gendy project that was the first volume and the very something different that the Clone Wars with the The TV show that we're going to be getting. All right, so then take us home, old hyperspace lane roads. Let's jump right into season one. Where we left off. So one of the things about these episodes that definitely threw me off is that they are so short, it's kind of hard to connect with these characters. But Kyle, you've been excited about this for a hot minute. Yes. Oh my goodness. So (laughs) what is it about this episode that had characters like, why were you all about these characters? It's mostly from my love of Clone Wars with the the. Luminara and her Padawan Barriss are such important characters in 
later arcs, especially with relation to Ahsoka. And even after the Clone Wars, Luminara, she comes into stuff like Rebels at one point. And it's just kind it it just brings everything together seeing these characters appear where you're not expecting. And you know, you kind of said a magic word there. Ahsoka is such a central part of the Clone Wars narrative that it feels really weird that I feel like she hasn't come up since episode one for us, where we discuss that she's missing. And she's such just such a central part of the Clone Wars identity. Right. Did anybody else find themselves drawn to these characters or this episode? Luminara and Barris are amazing. I know after or during the second episode two movie we did see a lot more female jedi but we didn't get story we saw them they spoke here or there but we didn't get any kind of background to them so with luminara and Barris, we at least have more depth to a very important female character characters that have the force so like i was saying on the last episode with ventress we're actually getting a female that has the force who is trained and is just amazing. So like Kyle said, I love these two characters. I was also really excited to see Ilum and Kyber Crystals portrayed on screen. It was something that had been touched upon in other spinoff material, but I don't think had really been seen portrayed in this sort of media before. And it's a huge part of the Star Wars canon and lore, and it's going to be such an important part of Clone Wars all the way up through to Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. So it's it's really cool to see something like that be spotlighted for the first time in this way. Thank you. I meant to mention that myself earlier, but I got so excited about Luminara and Barris. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> what I appreciated about Luminara and Barris is the foil between Jedi and Padawan between them and Anakin and Obi-Wan. We mm. see a much more traditional what I would expect from a Jedi and a Padawan because I don't think we've really ever gotten that. I wouldn't even count Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan in The Phantom Menace because Obi-Wan is almost as non-listening as Anakin is to him when he's trying to teach him. And I really appreciated showing what traditional Jedi teaching is supposed to be looking like outside of these main characters who are part of this huge overarching story. Yeah, I agree with Jonah in that regards. It's like, this was one of the things I was really happy they kind of brought forward from this version of the Clone Wars into Dave Filoni's series, is you really kind of see Luminara, Ferris as a foil for, in Filoni's series, Anakin and, and Ahsoka, but also I really appreciated the kind of delving into the mysticism of the Force, and that's something else that we get to see more of in the animated series that was really a great addition to the franchise as a whole. And that's a great segue into the next sequence, which I think is one of the best additions to the franchise from this series. I just love this Padme Yoda buddy cop team up shit. This is amazing. And Yoda's like, oh, I'm a mean psychic. And everybody's like, I'm okay with it. And we had the settings on our TV pretty wrong the first time we watched this. And Padme, how do I describe that sequence? Um, Milk? That Snow whole, White. Yeah, that whole sequence looked like... Like milk dancing in snow. So when we fixed the color and really got to appreciate it the second time, it was really a beautiful sequence. So I'm going to be honest, this was actually one of two moments in volume one that I actually was frustrated with Gindy because I think for the most part, well, maybe his renditions aren't the most interesting versions of the character all the time. They've generally gotten the core aspect. That initial interaction between Padme and Yoda on the ship really bothered me because I don't feel like Padme should be laughing off Yoda basically taking away the free will of her guard to like influence her decision. It just feels wrong for the character to me that does bring into question the ethical you know how exactly are we supposed to treat jedi mind tricks though we see jedis use them all the time and i don't think we've ever seen a jedi use one where we aren't supposed to think oh haha you're changing someone's mind and it's the first time i think we've ever seen yoda use a jedi mind trick and that was definitely shocking the first time i saw it but you know at what point are we supposed to say yeah that's pretty unethical bro yeah and just the fact that padme 
latch it off. I mean, this is after episode two where, I mean, Padme showed visible discomfort with Anakin saying, oh, we should just make people, you know, believe in our opinion. And it's like she seems to be okay with it here. And I just feel like this is one area where Indy may have gotten the character a bit wrong. I will say that I think Padme does have a history of turning a blind eye when it comes to getting what she wants, though. Like when she was all, oh, I'm going to rescue Obi-Wan. I guess you just have to come with me in episode two. Like, you know, she kind of does what she wants. And I like that because I feel like that is something very true to the Star Wars hero. The Star Wars hero kind of does what they want. For better or for worse, whether you think that that makes them, you know, questionable or not. For better or for Lois. Especially the female characters, which is a, a good thing. Leia is just like a bulldozer, man. She's not having anybody's shit if its name is not Leia. Well, not that the shit should be named Leia, but the person whose shit it is that she would not be having would need to be named Leia for her to want the shit. And it's not. And it's not. Get it out of here. Get that bantha fodder out of here. So, okay. Now, I thought that it was fun, but I actually thought it was fun in a lot of ways because I don't really count this as canon because all of these things are evidently retold or retold without major parts. So, like, you know, for me, it's just fun. I'm not super about it, but I like it. Now, Steven voiced some frustration, and Kevo, you said that that kind of expands on a frustration you have with the Star Wars universe as a whole. Dylan, Kyle, Jonah, what are your guys' thoughts on... Yoda as Dark Xavier and Padme as Mario Andretti just zipping around. I'm we've been talking about this for so long. I'm so out of material. Okay, I thought this was gonna be like two hours of of episode, and I'm really fucking out of material. And I can't wait to get to real Clone Wars. I was expecting like Padme Gray or something. I just don't have it. All right, Mario Andretti. And like, I wish I even got there from the race car driver reference. I got there from you could be good for me by amy grant because she says you like to drive like mario andretti but then i also go to drive by gwen stefani where she's like do me in your car like mario andretti and so i thought mario andretti was like young and that somebody that she would want to do her but then he turned out to be terribly old and i was like gwen you can't come up with a different person who drives cars Uh, Did you realize that that was a real person? I thought you were doing a bit because the day you're recording this, it's Mario Day. No, (laughs) Mario Andretti. Yeah, I thought because it was Mario Day. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, my God. Well, (laughs) uh, the force is strong with this one. So so to answer Nico's question, I agree with what Steven was saying. It doesn't make sense. But to go along with the fact that Padme does typically kind of just do whatever she wants as long as it benefits her type of thing. And she doesn't seem to always, or I mean, she does tend to have a blind eye for things that go against what she wants, but then she also has a blind eye for things that are really awful for her as well. So that's my very confusing answer. (laughs) She a mess. She's a mess. Yes. Uh, Padme, you in danger, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Force ghost, Oda Mae Brown. She just walks into danger, even though Yoda tells her not to follow him. And it's just, she just uses 3PO as a decoy to take out all these other droids. And I'm like, I don't really know. Has she done that in the past where she just uses 3PO as bait? And if she had, that's, like, really ugly. Yeah. I, I understand that they're droids, but, you know, even when they bully C-3PO a lot, they tend to take care of him. Yeah. You know, end of the day, they'll scrap for him. So that was a lot. I think there's a lot of cartoon levels of extreme behavior throughout the whole Star Wars Clone Wars that are kind of too exaggerated. I think the team forgot that they're portraying humans in all of this and, like, human characters characters that we see behave like normal people from time to time and in so many ways as far as i know other than the holiday special segment yes there was ewoks and yes there was droids but the entire the entirety a vast majority of the active characters at that point in canon had not been shown in animation before so while there had been star wars animated projects decades earlier this was the first true attempt at animating star wars for the masses outside of a video game and i think the potential 
reality and the limitlessness was far too tempting for the creative team. And I wonder if perhaps the opportunity to make a Star Wars that had never looked like Star Wars before was too great a draw to keep it as consistent as it would have benefited from. I didn't particularly care for this this part of the series, mostly because it's something it harkens back to something that Dylan said that a lot of the female characters don't really get much. Padme here doesn't really do much for me. I don't really think that she's a dynamic, unique character that Padme has to be the one in this situation. I feel like she suffers a little bit from sexy lamp syndrome where you could just put a sexy lamp there and oh look, it's still the exact same effect. And I do see what you mean, because other than looking fabulous in an Emma Frost outfit, she is just sort of fallen short of as realized as, say, Leia or later on, Rey. The visuals in episode segments 17, 18, and 19 were just so... I don't know if it's just that I grew up thinking Samurai Jack was the most important art I'd ever seen, or if I really do connect with the visuals in this more than I've ever connected with the visuals of Anakin becoming Darth Vader, but I felt Anakin's descent into the dark side of the Force was beautifully visualized in this three-parter. No, I get that. I think the only parts of this that I didn't like were just the inherent personality flaws that George Lucas decided to write into the character of Anakin Skywalker for the prequels. And, you know, there's some stuff about the lightsaber at the end that's maybe a little okay we get it but I found myself almost grateful that I had this opportunity to see Anakin become gross because other than there's that one poster of him where he's like in that cloak and he looks kind of reptilian a little bit and I always think they like trying to make him look like Darth Maul I don't think he looks like evil Anakin becoming Vader so other than that poster I kind of feel like there's not a lot of really oh shit look at him I remember Chris Potter podcasts of now and again had this amazing like collage poster of Anakin with Darth Vader as his shadow and it was made up of stills from the films and I remember thinking that was really beautiful but again I didn't get the transition I didn't feel like I could see the pull to the dark side for the most part I find Anakin's shown either really sweet and innocent like a child or vaguely dangerous to have around and this was the first time I feel like I could see him walk that very that very dangerous I've been playing with fire but now it's getting me kind of line definitely this segment it shows his very near brush with grasping the dark side and while his fight with Asajj is very fantastic it's seeing what he goes to to defeat her you can see that things are starting to get a little scary with him and I think it's a necessary very scary because Anakin is so frequently shown as trapped in the tumult of trying to become an adult and I understand trying to create that emotional context but this was visceral and I kind of needed visceral I didn't want to hear Anakin talk about bad things he's done I wanted to see Anakin do something bad I don't root for his demise into the dark side but at the end of the day he becomes Darth Vader whether or not I want him to and you kind of actually do have to in some ways if you are someone who's trying to follow the narrative of this overall story that is the Skywalker saga, you do have to kind of root for him to become Darth Vader in that you want it to be played out in a way that is dynamic, that makes you care about the character and his fall to the dark side and it's, I agree, something that I don't think was conveyed as well as it should have been over the course of three films. So I liked seeing it drawn out more here. I'm looking forward to seeing how it will play out in the proper full length length Clone Wars series because you know that's that was the whole purpose of making this trilogy it wasn't just to pump out new toys just to pump out new Star Wars just to keep the brand going it was supposed to be to tell a story that we were supposed to identify with or like you know feel something over it was supposed to be the chosen one Lord you know what's really crazy I just realized for the first time ever we did the MCU and we did Alien and Peter Parker references both, yeah. both and Star Wars. Yeah. Oh, Petey. Oh, Petey. So from yes. Petey to our Petey, Joj, tell me, what were your thoughts on seeing Anakin go from Candyland to Smashy Mean Man? I really didn't have this much material prepared, okay? Whose fault is that? This fucking show! <laughs> I thought it was my turn to talk. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know if this really was the best way for that to happen. I feel like there are more interesting and more ways that would make sense for Anakin as a character, as well as the Star Wars universe as a whole, as opposed to just throwing Ventus off a cliff. I mean, I don't know that I would call this the inciting incident after he slaughtered all those villagers. That's true. Even for, um, the young <laughs> Climax... <laughs> That hasn't happened yet. Oh, what? Wait, oh, the younglings didn't. Oh, right. The women and children have happened, but the younglings... Annie! Okay. <laughs> maybe maybe it's more the climax than the inciting incident. It's another step towards the dark side. You know, like it's like hidden... It's like Legends of the Hidden Temple, and it's when the four teams are trying to get to the bottom two steps. It's kind of like that. Steven, you've been dangerously quiet on what is probably the most important segment of the first part. I gotta be honest. I'm I'm dying to know, man. What is in your journal of the will this be good or bad? I have two things. First, the beginning of the series. There is a hilarious juxtaposition to me between Anakin's reaction to the troopers in R4. You have literal troopers getting oh, yeah. frisbeed into the stratosphere and Anakin has the emotional <laughs> reaction of a like a dead log. But then with R4, he goes full Rosa Diaz meme where it's like, I've only known R4 for five minisodes, but if anything happens to him, I'll kill this entire planet and then the women and children too. And it's just like, it's just really, I mean, certainly with like droid there has been that emotional connection but i think it goes back to what i said in the first episode how like inhuman the troopers are kind of treated like they're literally being cared for less than the droid and right after the episode where we saw padme be like oh c-3po go be laser fodder for me (laughs) like nobody cares about anybody well, I think this is a good visual showing of Anakin touching the dark side. I don't think it's an earned moment because so much of Anakin's flirting with the dark side is in relation to, like, pr- I, you know, trying to right a wrong to someone he's cared about or trying to protect someone from a wrong that he cares about. And it really comes off here as more of, like, just blind rage, that, especially at the end of the episode with the whole, you know, s- smashing her off the cliff with the lightsaber. It's like, eh, that's it's not how I really feel like the best moment for Anakin. I don't feel like Asajj was presented as much of a threat to something that Anakin cared about that he'd be willing to go to the dark side to protect. So I want to say first that I love that read because I hadn't considered it that way before. But for me personally, I think that makes me like the moment more as a step toward the dark side, specifically because there is no attachment there. And yet he is still touching the dark side. Every other time there's always been like, you know, an excuse. He was mad that his mom died and now he's going to be mad about Padme. And like, you know, there's been these contextual moments for why he's turning to the dark side. But, you know, he also continues to make that choice every day for 19 years. There has to be something to himself that he is also just giving in. It can't all be about he's doing this for Padme for 19 years. So it's interesting to see him then let loose when there isn't anything personal at stake other than her breaking his favorite toy. I do think that's a fair counterpoint. Jonah, as a guy who would have grown up parallel to this narrative, how do you feel about the sudden violence? I know you said that it's not really an inciting incident, but do you see from your perspective this sudden attack to be more fluid? Not really. If I was watching this while it was airing and this was supposed to get me hyped up for Star Wars and like on the edge of my seat... I don't know if it would actually do that for me. I guess without the prior context of knowing who Anakin is and knowing what is going to happen, there's less at stake and I feel like it has less of an impact. If you don't know that Anakin does fall into the dark side and becomes Darth Vader, and you don't know that he already has these different moments of flirting with the dark side, this doesn't hold any stakes for anybody. I get what you mean. Like I said, I don't want to see him turn evil, but if he's gonna, he's gonna fucking turn evil. You know, Darth Vader is kind of the villain we came into this thinking we'd get out of it. I don't know that there are quite as many non-major film villain Star Wars villains that like jump to mind the way Grievous does. I know he appears in episode three, but Grievous feels to me 
like both the most and least Star Wars villain ever. And his introduction here with like a normal voice is just way too much for me. But also... I feel like not enough Jedi just telekinetically take his lightsabers and, like, cut him with them. I, yeah, don't get why he is some, you know, unstoppable juggernopter. I don't know, yeah. So, Kyle, Dylan, I feel like all of your favorite characters, like, got, like, summarily executed in this sequence. So, maybe you guys can explain to us why Grievous is, um, threatening... Is it the arms? Is it the wheeze? Because I don't know. No, find he doesn't the... have that yet. He doesn't oh, have it yet. It's his okay. chicken feet. Is it the chicken feet? Is it the chicken feet and spider arms? Because I just don't get it. Um, I mean, he at this point, he doesn't even have the full training that he gets later on in, in the uh, third season of this. So I, I really don't know how he is so effective against these Jedi. He's like using Surf on a Charizard. He's super effective, and I don't care for it. <laughs> Dylan, I feel like General Grievous, like, mopped the animation studio with all of your favorite Jedi. It felt kind of like everyone that we were told was really powerful was handled with a little too much ease in this scene. Did it sort of cheapen the inclusion of so many characters you'd been excited to see? It slightly did. I understand they need to hype this really big bad that we don't really know that much about and so i guess that makes sense because i know that sometimes it's just how some villains will be introduced that we know very little about they need to come in and beat up every single person that you could think of even though we've seen multiple times where small groups of jedi could take down entire armies let alone just one person so it is a bit annoying but i understand that that is somehow or that is sometimes how stories are written to hype a new-ish kind of character and try to make you fear them. I love that answer. Steven, I feel like Grievous is like the Star Wars bad guy at this point. Like, I feel like he's the animated villain that I would culturally recognize. Was this his first, like, at this point, non-canonical appearance? And how did you feel about this early version of Grievous compared to the nightmare you come to know? So I think, I believe, yes, this was the first at least animated or, you know, like on a sort of visual medium that I don't know if he was, he appeared in any like comics or books or something at the time before this, but this was definitely one of our first introductions of them and them attempting to tease this character for us. Compared to what he became, honestly, I feel like this was one thing that I actually walked away like it kind of set me up for disappointment in episode three because I like this version of Grievous more because he's got this more sort of sinister tactician element about him. And I feel like the one when we get in the movie and even in the Dave Filoni Clone Wars kind of comes off more as Saturday morning super villain. So you're saying that he and Snidely Whiplash would yeah, wacky pretty race much. together. Okay, that has my heart. Now I love him. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing you have to keep in mind, this is... A Jedi Order who, you know, I think it's in episode three, Mace Windu comes to Yoda and he's like, I think we need to tell the Senate that our ability to use utilize the Force has become diminished. I mean, these Jedi are not, you know, peak warriors. I mean, with the exception of like Anakin and all, like your rank and file Jedi is not as good as, say, as like a Luke or someone like that. They are kind of just scraping the barrel here. So honestly, especially what we learn about, you know, his training from Dooku in the next volume, I can believe it with the way he approached that situation that he could, you know, with surprise and intimidation actually overcome in that situation. I've never been more in love with anything in my entire life than dollar store Jedi. I have never loved anything more than discount Jedi. I can't. I completely forgot about that whole point that the Jedi at this point were much weaker than what they had been in the past. So that would explain it. Keep in mind, they hadn't, the Sith hadn't been around for generations. They hadn't trained against lightsaber wielding foes. No, I mean, the Jedi were too busy building capital cities on the Sith's old landmarks. Uh, Dummies. (laughs) 
Jonah, this episode ends with Yoda being like, ah, nope, shit's fucked. And when G. Luke's was like, hey, I would really like you guys to come back and samurai jack me another Powerpuff Jedi. And Gendy was like, how do I what for? And George Lucas, G. Luke's, was like, my kids really want to have that resolved, so resolve it. Did you find that ominous Yoda ending as enthralling? I mean, maybe it's different if your dad is Yoda, but I don't I I didn't find myself like hugely drawn in. What about you? Um, I would like to say if I was younger watching this, I might be excited to see what happens or be like, "What? How does it end there? What what's going on?" cuz you know that's how Jonah talks when he was younger. It's not very different from how we talk now. No, it's not. <laughs> but me watching it now, I I find it weird. Last episode, it was Kyle who mentioned that he saw this as kind of like the retelling, like a legend story kind of thing where we're seeing how these characters dealt with this war. And well, I find the idea interesting of what goes, what's going on between episode two and episode three. I think having it end on this form of a cliffhanger where Yoda is like this doom and Solon is like, well, guess I'll die then kind of attitude really doesn't fit and I don't know if it's like it there's something just seems off about it like I don't think this is I don't think that's how it should have ended I feel like there should have been I don't know a new hope especially if there wasn't an intention to come back and do a second volume of this which there hadn't been originally it was just going to be the first 20 episodes they were called back to do more so like that's how it would have ended no wonder his kids wanted more So the second half of Clone Wars, which is really like the second third, but it's really just season three that's volume two. I feel like I'm talking in like base seven or something. It's about as complicated as the expanded universe ever was. Yeah. So this episode set, instead of being 23 minute clips, was five 12 to 15 minute segments. And Lucas only gave, as aforementioned, the challenge of finish out what you started and set up my next movie. So I kind of feel in many ways, like this section is a bit more rote almost. It feels like it's a narrative that is explicitly and exclusively driving toward the beginning of the third film. Now, if you care for the third film, that's great for you. I don't. I don't even think that it properly connects enough with the opening of the third film. We're going to be given a story where Anakin basically goes off and helps a caveman version of of the Navi, and that's supposed to lead directly into Revenge of the Sith, but like, no, I don't feel that at all from the movie in any way. It it feels like there should at least be some amount of time between those stories. It really, it's bizarre. And I think what made it a little bit more compounded is... It really does feel like a totally different story right away. Steven, this was your return to this narrative. Had you felt that the second half was maybe a little bit more what you remembered? Or what was your re-journey to the Gendi? Volume 3, Season 2? Volume 2, Season 3. Oh my god. What was your return trip like? I think in a lot of respects, it's a lot of interesting fight sequences that ultimately add nothing of value to the overarching story of Star Wars. Mm. Well, it's where Grievous well, gets yeah, the lead. I mean, that's, I mean, do we really need an answer for that? But also, I think in some cases, it actually misses the mark on some pl- things and actually, I don't know, makes the character development worse in a way. How so? Well, so I think particularly with Anakin in this journey, they're trying to, you know, draw parallels to his journey to the dark side. And I think Indy kind of misses the mark at least two times. There's the whole sequence where he's watching painting come to life through the force. And it's like, I think here he's missing the point that it wasn't so much him being corrupted by power. Like the power itself was not corrupting him or twisting him. It was his own choices. And then at the end of this whole thing, he makes that, par- he try- like, Indy tries to draw a parallel between Anakin's descent to the darkness and like the you know the the native people's whole transformation it's like for some reason gindy really doesn't appreciate anakin's autonomy and his whole descent into the dark side and it's like he's trying to make it like something happened to anakin and that's not the case so maybe gindy saw anakin as a passenger of prophecy more than an active participant in his own darkness. Yeah, and I think that really 
does a discredit to the character to try to take away his autonomy and the decision to become what he became. Kyle, when you were watching this with Steven, did you feel sort of the same things? Or how did you feel this left the characters as we headed into episode three? I definitely did feel similarly about it. It definitely felt like Anakin was being pulled towards that direction instead of him making those decisions himself. Going into to episode three, I definitely don't feel like it makes that connection between his character here and his character there, but I can see some reflections of it not quite as heavy-handed in the the Clone Wars series, if that makes sense. And, oh, absolutely, you know, having more time, you can create more subtle arguments. In that regard, it seems to me like that's already an obvious reason they sort of redid the whole thing. Jonah, watching this second season, third season, third season, volume two, it was a stark contrast to the minisodes we'd sort of lulled you into this project with. It felt like there was meant to be a more overarching story as opposed to the many tales of what was going on. I was not too happy with how everything was going. It's mostly because they split the party, basically. Anakin and Obi-Wan go on this weird journey for Anakin that feels very removed from the rest of the narrative of the war that's going on. And part of of what bothers me about it is they promoted Anakin from Padawan to Jedi specifically to have him fight in this war and now he's doing fuck all like there's something about it to me yeah i get you off that i don't understand why is there this huge split in narrative i felt like a lot of this characterization they were putting on anakin felt really contrived and obi-wan kind of came off like a dick this entire time basically telling anakin this is what you have to do you really don't have a choice in any of the you have to do this you have to you have like he didn't, there's a lot of not asking and a lot of Obi-Wan saying, you're going to do this. And I really didn't appreciate a lot of what was going on. I wasn't too terribly excited about this conclusion because I feel like it didn't really wrap up the stories that were being told previously. And I love so much of what you brought up, whether it's Obi-Wan so haughty or it's the sort of pointlessness of his transition from Padawan to full Jedi. And not that it's pointless, but I don't feel like that was the story I needed to bridge these ideas. Dylan, I know a lot of your favorite stories are about rites of passage and seeing characters come into who they're going to be. This reflected that darkness and tumult of teenage years. I think that was maybe what they were going for as well. How does this stack up with the rite of passage narrative and coming of age stories that they were clearly trying to tie this into? feel like Gendy was trying to tell a story that he wasn't supposed to tell yet, if that makes sense. Some of it makes sense, but it's just like he really wanted to be the one to give the dark side to Anakin, but knew that he couldn't. And because of his not being able to, it kind of just got lost. That That's kind of what it feels like to me. Like half-assing it because he couldn't whole-ass it because George Lucas still had some of the ass meant that (laughs) it wound up sort of like uneven-cheeked. He was in control of the ass. Yes. It's not going to be one guy blasting you in the ass. It's going to be the other guy blasting you in the ass. (laughs) And I think part of what makes this... a little more frustrating as well is is the fact that it goes directly from this narrative of Anakin, you know, getting this sort of warning of what his future could be directly into allowing it to happen. You're you're having him get these premonitions, but they're ultimately not going to help him. It doesn't really help underline the narrative because we've known what the narrative was going to be for, gosh, when the movie came out, almost 30 years. So it, it really feels so much of the way the prequels and this Anakin turning to the dark side storyline, so much of how it was handled feels like the people controlling the narrative kept forgetting. It's not a surprise. We all know it's coming. So the harder you hammer it, the more it's just, I guess, obnoxious at a certain point. Even if you decompress Romeo and Juliet into five movies, we know the end of the fifth one. Yeah. You could draw a parallel almost to Spider- Spider-Man Homecoming there. Like, they finally decided, hey, we don't need to tell the same origin story because we all know what's going to happen to Peter Parker. And the movie was honestly better for it. 
Exactly. By skipping that step of setup, yeah, that's and a great throwback to, hey, that's the second throwback to us doing the MCU on HTML on this episode. That's awesome. So I do have a question for everybody. The characters are all left more or less where they're supposed to be at the beginning of episode three. But in a lot of ways, I kind of feel like the characters are where they started at the beginning of this three season event. In that regard, did this kind of prove its own lack of canonical value back in the day? I mean, I guess for me, I, I don't know if something needs to necessarily add some major momentous thing to canon for it to have value. It can be a subtle side story or just a new perspective that is of value, but I think they have to do that right. And we were kind of talking about how I feel like, for instance, they capture, I feel like Gendy captures Anakin's descent to the dark side incorrectly. It's somewhat damaging to canon. So I don't know if I necessarily agree that it's like, oh, it should have been removed because it doesn't really have some major event. But I, I do think that because it makes missteps, it's valuable not to have this be part of the canon. For me, I think the only thing that I really got out of it was that uh, Sheev was just so obvious. He made it so while it looked like he was trying to be saved, he actually was like, oh, yeah, gee, oh, no, I'm being kidnapped. And I don't think that Gendy got that out of characterization from how George Lucas would have portrayed it either. I think that George Lucas would have portrayed that scene pretty much the same way. So, and he also sort of fopped around the stage like King George in Hamilton. And it was very, I'm the Sith. You will see the galaxy will belong to me. It's very, it's very, oh dear, they're coming for me. I shouldn't stand too close to the window. That pretty much, it's so silly in an on the nose way that I even support. But yeah, this is why the emperor is not my favorite villain of all time. I mean, this is definitely not my favorite rendition of Palpatine. I think Dave Filoni does it a lot better with Palpatine. I think he he bridges that gap of like, oh, making trying to make him like obviously the villain, but also not so obvious that it becomes stupid that no one can see what's going on. It's amusing, the Gendy performance. I love that as Sidious, he even has pointy little teeth. Yeah, I don't understand how these Jedi don't pick up on that at all. They're too busy living on a haunted Sith cemetery. Yeah, it's all that Sith radioactive waste that's, you know, messing up their wherever your force comes out of. Your force hole. Your force hole. The Gendy seasons, he just seems a little too cheesy. I think I mentioned it before in... A previous episode that I feel like this series was playing a little bit more more so for the audience of children with certain characters and I feel like the emperor unfortunately got met with writing of being a very cheesy cartoon character instead of a Star Wars character. But I know you love side characters, so did you enjoy seeing his guards like Shakti and what are these other people's names? Throat guy and fuzzy guy? Was penis head there? <laughs> no, forehead guy didn't appear helping Palpatine, I don't think. Well, my favorite part was when Miss Bellum took out her lightsaber and protected the mayor! <laughs> and I just, that was my favorite part. Miss Bellum? Miss Bellum, we're under attack! Yes, Kevo, uh, I do like that when it came to this series that the Emperor's sidekicks or henchmen or whatever did get a a little bit more focused because like when it comes to his guards they're not his henchmen well that's also kind of an interesting point like i feel like gindy was sort of given a scene that ultimately to build up that ultimately got cut out of the of episode three because in the deleted scenes for episode three there is a scene where shock t has been captured aboard grievous's ship and executed so i feel like they wanted to have him build up that moment like why she would go there but i think george lucas all being like well do are we really going to expect people to have to watch these minisodes to be able to understand what's happening here well he's part of the reason they even made this extra volume he well no not even he his son wanted to know how that cliffhanger was going to resolve from the end of volume one there wasn't going to be a volume two but george lucas's son jet was like but wait what 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 happens to the jedi at the end of this and george was like um so you're gonna make me more episodes and you're gonna resolve this cliffhanger because my kid wants to know what happens so like it's ironic then that he would then not resolve the storyline that 
that they built up for the character through his movie. Knowing that this was meant to get people excited for episode three, you would have thought it would have had something to do with episode three. But Grievous is disposed of in like 25 minutes and everything that continues in episode three really doesn't need that opening sequence. That opening sequence could have been two minutes long and part of episode two. Like, I really feel that this doesn't get me excited for episode three. But then again, I also feel maybe like episode three doesn't get me excited for episode three. I don't know. That sexy moment with C-3PO got me really turned on to watch episode okay, three. Okay, can we talk about that for three seconds? How uncomfortable that made me? Why was C-3PO... Can we talk about it for three full minutes? Because what? <laughs> Why? And it's bad enough that this crew decided to reuse basically 50% of the dialogue from the original trilogy, but the use of Vader's line, impressive, most impressive, which he says of his son's Jedi skills, to have him use it here when talking about C-3PO's sexy new paint job? Ah. Well, C-3PO is his first son. That's a really, 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 really clever point, actually. He's always He always says that when he's impressed with his male progeny. I also want to discuss the part where Anakin pulled his fucking lightsaber on Padme because he was startled. Like, I never want to hear anyone complain about Luke pulling a lightsaber on Ben Solo ever again because apparently that just runs in the family. They all have anxiety disorder. They need some sort of safety on their saber. And I mean, it's been kind of established this universe that Anakin can, like, sense, you know, her presence. So, like, he couldn't tell that was Padme trailing him. Right? She's just real good at throwing off her scent. How is he not able to, like, force-sense her a little bit better? I'm sort of surprised by how much I didn't like it as much as I remembered, but how I appreciate it in an all-new way. I feel by the end that we've lost sight of the bright, shiny arc troopers and the excitement of so many new Jedis. In fact, the first volume was dominated by many characters coming and going from the narrative, while the second volume felt pretty much like an Anakin wine fest. And I don't know that I feel like I enjoyed it as much as I thought I remembered. On the whole, I would probably give this project three and a half galaxies. Out of how many? A long, long time ago. How many is that out of? Kyber crystals. No, that's not an answer. The chosen one? No, what is the scale? <laughs> what's that force ghosts? Honestly, no. Okay, I guess we'll go, there's nine episodes, okay? So yeah. on a scale of episode one to episode nine, with that just being numbers, not film qualities, I'm gonna say uh, I give this like a five. Five out of nine, yeah. I would say this is pretty middle of the road. Good time, really pretty, just didn't hold up. I'd probably go a little bit higher for volume one and a little bit lower for volume two. I think the effort to make volume two more story driven didn't really work for me. And, you know, I didn't like the story itself and I don't feel it connects well enough to the film that it's supposed to lead into. But I really enjoyed the smaller vignette you know, exciting short burst stories of the Clone Wars from Volume 1. So Volume 1, I'd give like a 7 or 8, and Volume 2, I'd probably give a 4. For the first part, I give it a solid 6. I think I was fairly entertained between the art style, the interesting characterization, the stories chosen to be told, and everything that came with it. I really did enjoy what I watched. This is my first time viewing it at all, and while I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan, maybe that's why I have a different view on it. I just thought a lot of it was pretty cool. The second part of it, oh, I'm giving it a four. I do not think it really did any measuring up to how I felt about the first part. There was just too much going on. It didn't seem like a really complete narrative. I wasn't really satisfied with how he chose to end the story. And at the end of the day, I was entertained by the first parts as opposed to this longer how about you, Dylan? How many is it out of again? Nine. Force Ghost. <laughs> I would give it a four as well for the whole thing. I'm not going to break. I just I just feel like there's a lot more that could have been planned out a lot more, especially if you're going to be telling such important stories in just a matter of minutes. I feel like there's more things that could have been put in and some cheese that could have been left out. Sorry to go with Anakin's wine, <laughs> but Kyle, I remember asking you to watch this, and you've been like, I don't think I've seen it. Now that you've seen it, where do you stand? 
us. I'm going to agree with Dylan and rate the whole thing as a four. The big reason why I rated it that low is because, specifically because of season three, It's it felt like they had started it before enough of the details of episode three had been ironed out. So throughout this these five episodes... And an uneven story that doesn't seem like the beginning matches the ending. I really respect that. Both of your fours being lower than my fives in no way frustrates me for any reason. I really do get why people might be like, mm, a little bit more on this. Steven? Steven, where would you rate this? So I think I'm going to go Kevo's route and split them up by volume. I would give volume one like a solid six or seven. I, I appreciate this one mostly because it, you know, it expanded on the universe so much and introduced such a wide variety of characters. And it's interesting to see that's really the volume that much of the stuff Dave Filoni took inspiration from are the things that Dave Filoni carried forward into it. On the other hand, with Volume 2, I'm actually going to give it a 3. You know, the action sequences were fun and very gindy. Getting Anakin's character so wrong and really removing his autonomy and a lot of this, the things that were going on with him is a big misstep, and I, I just did not like it. Gentlemen, it has been an honor to have you guys aboard our Millennium Falcon of Fun for this bizarre Clone Wars adventure that's not really Clone Wars, but it certainly was one hell of an adventure. Jonah, until you're back with us, where can everybody find you? If you would like to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. Dylan, until you return to grace our wonderful shores... Where can everybody find you? Everybody can find me on Facebook, talking about X-Men 24-7 on my Facebook group titled House of X, or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Steven and Kyle, you guys represented a first for HTML, a couple that wasn't us. (laughs) So we want to thank you guys so much for coming out and representing. And until you guys return to a galaxy kind of further in the future, not quite as far long ago. Where can everybody find you? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having us. It was a blast. Anyway, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. And you can find me in the Crystal Caves of Illum. Please send food. I didn't think this through. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna force teleport a lightsaber to you, and we'll see if that works first. Only if he already has frozen foods ready. Ooh, can you cook with a lightsaber? I mean, I feel like we're just getting into a thousand degree knife territory from YouTube. But can you cook with a lightsaber? You can swim with one. I think we're going to have to answer this question another time, buddy. And until then, where can everyone find you? You guys can find me all over this amazing network on shows like this one, HTML, where you can look in our archives and find our deep dive into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the X-Men Foxverse, or my favorite film franchise of all time, Alien, as well as a legendary take on the all-time holiday classic, Freeform's Rap Battle, a true testament of holiday spirit. Rest in peace. Rest in peace until we get to unwrap you again next holiday season season dark rapping lords willing you can also find my show x's for podcast which i do with a multitude of the folks here over at x's for podcast or we are don't forget to check me out on instagram at nico action n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n and kevo where can the folks at home find you flapping about <laughs> you can find me on instagram and twitter at kevo really k-e-v-o-r-e-a-l-l-y or on the facebook page for this lovely program at real nico kevo action And folks, until we return to the scary-ass skies of the Star Wars universe, we'll see ya. May the Force be with you. And also also with with your Force ghost. 